I'd like to say this morning before we sing this song, we have done this song millions of times, it seems like, not to y'all, but um, this song, it means a lot to me, especially now with all the things that are going on in this world. You know, there's a lot of things that are unsure and a lot of things we just don't know what tomorrow may hold. We may go to work in our building be filled with anthrax or we just don't know nowadays we just have to trust the lord but the words of this song it talks about when i can't stand i have to lean and when i can't see i have to believe you know that's talking about jesus and our god you know we're not just talking about each other because you know we may lean on one of us one day but you may not be able to call and get that friend that you talk to every day and say, you know, I got a problem I need to talk to you about. You know, God, we can call anytime, and his line's never busy. You know, and I'm just thankful this morning. I just wanted you to really think about the words of this song this morning and not just listen to us up here singing. I want you to listen to the words this morning. Ah. Uh-huh. 
Praise the Lord. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. <clears throat> and I'll draw your attention to one verse of Scripture and to a question that was asked by the psalmist. Psalm 139. While you're finding your place, I may make mention tonight in the evening service, the nobleman will be with us, and we're looking forward to that. A couple of our fellows, Mike and Darren, uh, they're in this group, and so we're looking forward to having them here. And I know that Mike will be a blessing to you. Amen. Can't get amen. Don't forget tonight, you enjoy good singing. You'll enjoy uh, the nobleman tonight. Would you stand as we honor the reading of his word? Psalm 139. Notice verse 7. And here's the question. The psalmist asks, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or, Whither shall I flee from thy presence? Now, here's the question that I want us to focus upon today. We'll look at its context. But the psalmist asks, Whither shall I flee from thy presence? presence. Thank you. you. May be seated today. We're going to look at that question, try to answer that question as we share with you a few things from the Word of God. Let's pray. Our Father today in Jesus' name, we are in this world, but we're not of this world. But we thank you, Lord, that you care for us. When we can't stand, we can lean. When we can't see, we can believe. We thank you, Lord, that you are all that we need no matter what we face in life, and I thank you for it. Thank you for reminding us of that truth this morning and for warming our hearts with the thoughts of what you mean to us. Now, Father, we come to your Word. We've read your Word. We ask your blessings upon just the reading of the Word, and now we ask your blessings, Lord, upon the sharing of the Word. Help me today to help these folks to understand your Word better. May I be a vessel in the hands, in your hands today to communicate the truth that you won't give in this service today. So open every heart. May we listen. May we respond. And we'll thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I heard one time about these two mischievous boys, age 8 and 10, and they were always getting into trouble. If anything happened in their neighborhood, the parents immediately knew that somehow, some way, their boys had been involved. So they tried this, they tried that. They finally decided to take the boys to a preacher they had heard that had been successful in dealing with unruly children. So he agreed to meet with them, provided that he meet them one at a time. So the eight-year-old was sent to the preacher first. Well, the preacher was a huge man, had a booming voice. And when the little eight-year-old boy come in, he sat him down in a chair, pulled a chair up directly in front of the little eight-year-old boy, leaned over, took his hands, and he grabbed hold of the little boy's shoulders. And then with a stern voice, he looked at the little boy straight in the eye, and he said, Where is God? Well, the little boy didn't say a word. He just sat there wide-eyed, his mouth dropped open. So the preacher repeated the question in even a sterner tone, and he said, Where is God? is God. And still the little boy didn't respond. And so finally the preacher in the third time and even a louder, sterner voice, he looked at the little boy and he said, I ask you, where is God? Well, the little boy just jumped up out of his seat, shot out the door, ran all the way home, ran through the door, ran up the stairs, ran into his bedroom, and ran into his closet and shut the door. His 10-year-old brother saw him come in, went up to the closet, and he opened the door and he asked him what happened. And the little boy said to his brother, he said, we are in big trouble now. And he said, what's the matter? He said, God is missing and they think we done it. Well, I want to say to you, <clears throat> there may be times in your life that you feel like God is missing. But as we look at Psalm 139, we're reminded that God is never missing. And we're reminded that God is always present. As we continue looking at great questions in the Bible, I draw your attention to the question that is asked in verse 7. Whither shall I flee from thy presence? 
I want us to try to find an answer to that question and seek an answer to the psalmist's question. And as we do so, we'll find ourselves drawn to certain wonderful truths about the relationship that we have with God and the relationship that God has with us. You see, in Psalm 139, as the psalmist is brought into awareness of certain truths about this dual relationship, he finds himself contemplating and trying to look at things that's beyond his ability to fully understand. As you might say, as we might say, it blew his mind. It all left him standing in awe of God. In fact, as I look at the psalm, I find there were three things that he could not do. And I want to draw these to your attention this morning. The first one is this. I want you to notice what the psalmist could not comprehend. Think with me about what the psalmist could not comprehend. He is thinking about God. He is contemplating a certain truth about God, and he says that it was beyond his ability to comprehend. Look at verse 6 of Psalm 139. Notice what he says. He said in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. Now notice this next statement. I cannot attain unto it. You see, the psalmist is saying that the truth that he has been contemplating is beyond his comprehension. He says it's such a wonderful truth. It is such a lofty truth that it's beyond his ability to fully grasp what, he is, what he's been thinking about and beyond his ability to fully comprehend. Now, you ask the question, what is it that the psalmist is contemplating in the early part of the psalm? It is simply this. He has been thinking about God's knowledge of his life, and he's been thinking about God's knowledge of his ways. You see, the psalmist in the first part of Psalm 139 has been thinking about the great truth that God knows all there is to know about his life. In fact, look in verse 3, the latter part of verse 3. He says, Thou, referring to God, art acquainted with all my ways. You see, the psalmist has been, ama- has been made aware of the kind of knowledge God has of his life, and the kind of knowledge that God has of his ways. And he said, all of this is beyond my ability to comprehend. When I think about how well God knows me and how much God knows about me, he said, I just can't fathom the depth of that kind of knowledge. Now, what kind of knowledge is he talking about? When he talks about the knowledge of God that he can't comprehend, what kind of knowledge does God have? Well, I point out two things that I find in the psalm. For one thing, he describes God's complete knowledge. You notice in verse 1 of Psalm 139, he talks about the knowledge of God beyond his ability to fathom, and he begins the psalm by saying in verse 1, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. He begins the psalm by saying, the Lord knows me. Now, how well did he know the psalmist? You look at two words in verse 1. You notice the word search there. It's a Hebrew verb that originally meant to dig, and it described a miner going into a mine, digging for the precious metals. He's talking about a careful and a complete search of his life that has resulted in this complete knowledge that God has of his life. He said, the Lord has known me in verse 1. The word known speaks of all that can result from a careful and a complete scrutiny of a person's life. In other words, he begins the psalm by saying that there is nothing about me that is not known by the Lord. Like a miner searching a mine, God has scrutinized my life, and he has a complete knowledge of my life. He knows me. He knows everything about me. He knows all my ways. He continues describing this complete knowledge of the Lord in verse 2. He said, Thou knowest my down-sitting, And he said, thou knowest mine uprising. This psalmist said, whether I am sitting, sleeping, or standing, the Lord knows everything that is going on in my life, in every posture, in every state, in every activity, or every movement. He said, there is nothing about me that the Lord does not know. He adds in verse 2, thou understandest my thought afar off. He even goes as far to say, Lord, you even know the thoughts that fill my mind and cross my mind. Lord, you know everything I think. You not only know everything I do, you know if I'm sitting, you know if I'm sleeping, you know if I'm standing. Lord, you even know what I think. 
You even know the thoughts that cross my mind. He said, I'm down here on earth. You're way up there in heaven, afar off. But still, you know the thoughts of my mind. Verse 3, he continues, Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. He tells us there in verse 3 that God knows everything that he does. And he knows everywhere that he goes, whether it be in the daytime or whether it be in the nighttime. He is saying there's not a place he could go without God knowing where he was. There was not one thing he could do without God knowing what he was doing. He says, God is acquainted with all my ways. Not just a few of my ways, but God knows everything about me. Look in verse 4. He said, for there is not a word in my tongue. But lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. He even goes as far to say, Lord, you know everything I do. You know everything I think. And you even know every word that I speak. You know every thought that I have in private. But you know every word that I speak in public. He said, Lord, there's not a conversation I have. You don't know about it. Lord, there's not a word that I say you don't know about it. What he's talking about in Psalm 139 verses 1 through 4 is that God has a complete knowledge of our lives. Do you realize this morning that there's not one thing about you that God doesn't know? There's not one thing about me that is not known to the Lord. He has complete knowledge of my ways. He has a complete knowledge of your ways. He has a complete knowledge of our life. It is a complete knowledge. But furthermore, He not only describes God's knowledge as a complete knowledge, but as a constant knowledge. For as you continue looking at the psalm, he not only tells us that God is aware of our every movement, but he also suggests that God is aware of our every moment. That is, there is a constant knowledge of the Lord. There is never a moment when he does not know where we go. There is never a moment that he does not know what we do. There is never a moment that he does not know what we think. There is never a moment that he does not know what we say. It is a constant knowledge that is constantly complete. It is a complete knowledge, I should say, that is constantly complete. He knows everything about me, and he constantly knows everything about me. You realize this morning that God knows everything about our yesterday? God knows everything about my today. And the truth is, he knows everything about my tomorrow. And if you want to really put it like it really is, he knows everything about my life from the beginning to end. There is nothing I have done that he does not know. There is nothing I will do that he does not know. He knows everything about my life. He has complete and he has constant knowledge of my ways. Just this week I saw an advertisement on TV about a movie entitled, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Well, I want you to know this morning, God knows what we did last summer. And he knows what we did the summer before. And he knows what we did any, and all the summers before that. And he knows what I'll do next summer. He knows what I'll do the summer after. You see, God knows everything about me. It is a complete and it is a constant knowledge. Nothing about me God does not know. I read about this burglar that broke into a house one night. He started shining his flashlight around the room, started looking at things that he wanted to steal. And so after he kind of scoped the place out, he walked over and he picked up an item and started to put it in his sack. And then all of a sudden he heard this strange voice that said, Jesus is watching you. Well, he nearly jumped out of his skin, so he stopped, turned his light off, and just froze. And after a few minutes went by, he didn't hear anything else, didn't sense anybody in the room there. He thought, well, maybe I'm just tense, maybe I'm just nervous, I'm hearing things. So he turned his light on and kept on. He started to pick up another thing and started to put it in his sack. And all of a sudden, he heard this strange voice again. And this strange voice said, Jesus is watching you. So he started shining his flashlight all around the room, and he saw this parrot in a cage over in the corner of the room. He walked over to the parrot and said, did you say that? And the parrot said, yep, I was just trying to warn you. And the burglar now, realizing what was going on, he said, warn me, huh? Who are you? And the the parrot said, my name is Moses. And the burglar laughed and laughed and laughed. And he said, what kind of stupid person would name a parrot Moses? And the parrot answered, probably the same kind of people that would name a Rottweiler Jesus. Well, I want to say to you, Jesus is watching. He sees us. Amen. He has a complete and a constant knowledge. But when you think about that, it can either concern you or it either can comfort you. 
When you think about the fact that he knows everything, if there are things in our life that are not right, and there are things that we are hiding, and there are things that we are trying to hide, it can be a very concerning thing to know that God knows. You see, we're a funny uh, creature. We try to convince ourselves that no one knows what we are doing. And we try to convince ourselves that no one knows what we have done. And we try to convince ourselves that no one knows what's in our mind or being harbored in our heart. And we deceive ourselves. And I say to you, we deceive ourselves when we think that the ugly thing in our life is unknown. I was watching just this week a documentary on TV about the actress Natalie Wood. And it talked about how she wore, always wore a bracelet on her left wrist in all of her movies and all of her pictures. A wide bracelet. Always wore that bracelet. And the reason was a slight distortion of her wrist due to an accident during her youth. And I thought to myself, now you can hide a distortion of your wrist with a bracelet. And you can hide a scar on your face with makeup, but you cannot hide your sin from God. You cannot hide your life from God. He knows it all. As Kyle Yates said, the whole black chapter is open before his eyes. No pretty veil of rationalization has obscured it. No mantle of forgetfulness has toned down its vivid hues. No sweet perfume has been sprayed on to rob it of its hideous odor. He knows it all. It can be an alarming thought when you realize that he knows everything about you if things are not right. But on the other hand, his complete and constant knowledge can be a very assuring and comforting thought. When you realize that the Lord knows everything about you, then you're aware that he knows what you're going through. You're aware that he knows the burdens that you bear. You're aware that he knows that the load that you carry. And because he knows, you know that he'll give you what you need. That can be a very, very comforting thought. But the psalmist is thinking about God, and he thinks about God's complete and constant knowledge, and he said, it's beyond my ability to comprehend. But look at the second thing in the chapter that he could not do. He says, first of all, that he could not comprehend the knowledge of God. It's what he could not comprehend. But second of all, he talks about what he could not cause or what he could not create. Not only what he could not comprehend, but what he could not cause. You see, the psalmist continues to think about God. He continues to think about certain truths about God, and as he does so, and as he continues to do so, he not only contemplates the knowledge of God, the knowledge that God has of his ways in his life, but he also begins to contemplate the fact that he cannot cause or create a separation from the presence of God. Look at our question in verse 7. He asked this question, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? He asks the question, and then he answers his own question in the verses that follow. And he tells us that it's impossible. He asks, can I flee from the presence of God? And then he goes on to explain that it is impossible for me to create a separation from God's presence. I can't do it. I can't run from God. I can't hide from God. It is impossible for me to cause a separation from the presence of God. Look what he says about it. For one thing, he describes how flight cannot separate one from God's presence. Look at verse 8, 9, and 10. He says in verse 8, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. He says, If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. He said, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. He tells us that flight, there is no flight from the presence of God, that he cannot flee from the presence of God. He said, if I scale the heavens, I cannot separate myself from the presence of God. For when I scale the heavens, God will be there. He said, if I make me a bed in the grave, and the word hell that is used there, no Hebrew word referring to the grave, he's, it's all, that's what it means. He said, if I make a bed in the grave, even in death, it won't separate me from the presence of God. God will be there. He said, if I were to take wings, if I had wings and fly off in the morning sun to the ends of the earth, to the uttermost parts of the sea, that is, to the remote part of the earth and dwell there, he said, I'll still find God there. I couldn't even fly away from the presence of God. I cannot separate myself from the presence of God. What he's doing is reminding us that no matter where we are or where we go, God is there. 
I don't think anybody wants to flee from the presence of God, but I want to remind you this morning, you can't do it. You can't separate. You can't, you can't create a separation between you and the presence of God. No matter where you go, God is there. No matter where you're at, God is there. He not only knows everything about us, but he's everywhere we go. I think of Jonah. The story is familiar how he tried to run from God, but yet Jonah discovered that he could run ahead of God and he could run away from God, but he could not run any place or anywhere that God was not. You cannot separate. Flight cannot separate one from the presence of God. But look at the second thing he describes. Not only flight, but night. He says night cannot separate one from God's presence. Look at verse 11. He said, if I say. He's not describing the situation in his life, but he says, if I were to say, surely the darkness shall cover me. Even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. He tells us that it's not only impossible to flee from the presence of God, but it's impossible to hide from the presence of God. He said, the darkness does not hide me. The night cannot conceal me from God. He says the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter to God whether it's day or night. The night is just the same to God as daylight. Darkness cannot hide me. I think back in 1977, July 1977, when the power went out in New York City, the lights went out. Tens of thousands of people filled the streets, looted and burned the city. Steel gutters or shutters and grills from storefronts were ripped off. Plate glass windows were shattered. And people hauled off everything they could get their hands on. I even read about one man that even rented a truck to haul off things. Over 2,000 stores were plundered or damaged at the cost of $1 billion. But you say, why did something like that happen? For one thing, it just reveals the utter darkness of the human soul and our human nature. But I'll tell you another reason how, because it was dark. So people have the idea that if it's dark, I'm not going to be seen or I'll not be recognized. It'll not come out. It's something about the darkness that we think that we can hide our sins under. But I want to remind you, you do not hide your sin from God. You cannot hide your life from God. You can close the door. You can pull the shades. You can turn the lights out. But God is still there. You can go across town or you can go out of town. But God is still there. You can wait till the sun goes down, but God will be there. Neither flight nor night can separate us from the presence of God. Do you believe that? Say amen. It was this great truth of Psalm 139 that inspired the Swedish botanist Carolus Linnaeus to inscribe over the door of his lecture room, live innocently. God is here. I think about the fact that he knows everything about me. And he knows everywhere I go. In fact, no matter where I go, he's there. I can't run from him. I can't hide from him. When I realize that, it ought to motivate me and ought to motivate you to live innocently. In fact, I think about God's presence. Think about a little poem I read this week. He was just a little lad. And on the week's first day, he was wandering home from Sunday school and dawdling on the way. He scuffed his shoes in the grass. He found a caterpillar. He found a fluffy milkweed pod, and he blew out all the filler. A bird's nest in a tree or head so wisely placed on high was just another wonder that caught his eager eye. A neighbor watched his zigzag course and held him from the lawn. Asked him where he'd been that day and what was going on. I've been to Sunday school, he said, and turned a piece of sod. He picked up a wiggly worm and said, I learned a lot about God. Mm, very fine way, the neighbor said, for a boy to spend his time. Uh, if you'll tell me where God is, I'll give you a brand new dime. Quick as a flash, his answer came, nor were his accents faint. I'll give you a dollar, mister, if you can tell me where he ain't. Can I get an amen right there? He is there. I read about this little boy who's playing outdoors, and he was playing cowboys and Indians on his mama's broom, and so he played till it got dark, and Went inside the house, but he left the broom out on the porch. So his mother's cleaning up the kitchen. She said, where's my broom? And he said, I left it out on the porch. She said, go out there and get it. Well, little boy's terrified of the dark. And he said, Mom, I'm scared of the dark. I don't want to go out there and get that broom. And she said, son, there's nothing to worry about the dark. The Lord is out there. So the little boy went to the back door, cracked it open about six inches, and he said, Lord, if you're out there, hand me that broom. Well, I want you to know the Lord is out there. We are never out of his presence. 
You can't hide from the presence of God. You can't flee from the presence of God. He is always there. Can I get an amen? amen. That's the third thing in the truth, in the psalm. First of all, he talks about what he could not comprehend. He cannot fathom the depth of the knowledge God has of him. He cannot create a separation from the presence of God. But you notice thirdly what the psalmist could not count. This is verse 17 and 18. Verse 17 and 18, he said, look at this. This is a great verse. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. He said, if I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. The first truth that he contemplated was God's knowledge of his life and ways. The second truth that he contemplated was the presence of God, that he couldn't flee the presence of God or hide from the presence of God. But now the third truth that he contemplates is the acts and the activities of God in his life. And he describes all the attention that God has given to him as the sands, he numbers them as the sands of the seas. It's like he says, Lord, if I were to begin to try to count all the things you've done in my life, it'd be like trying to count the grains of sand on a seashore. And if you don't think that would be difficult, go down to Myrtle or Panama Beach somewhere and try to count all the grains of sand on the beach directly in front of where you would be staying. Impossible. And he said, Lord, when I think about all of your attention and affection for me, he said, Lord, it's more than I can count. I can't even begin to come up with a total of all that God thinks about me. You ever felt like that you, that God was not doing, that God was inactive in your life, that he was not doing anything in your life? Or have you ever felt like that you were not of special interest to God? That I want you to listen carefully to what the psalmist has to say. He talks about God's attention to his life. Notice he talks about his attention for one thing, God's prenatal attention to his life. Look what he says in verse, beginning in verse 13 and 16. He describes the attention that God gave his life even before he was born. He said in verse 13, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Now look at that statement for a moment. Look at that statement, For thou hast possessed my reins. It literally means thou hast created my innermost parts. The word possess that is used here is a word that means to create to originate, to fashion, to form. He said, Lord, thou hast formed, thou hast created my reins. The word reins is the Hebrew word for kidney. And it would include, when they would use the word kidney, it would include all the vital organs, the lungs, the kidneys, the liver, the heart, the brain, and all those things. He said, Lord, thou hast possessed my reins. Lord, thou hast formed all of my inward parts. Thou that is used there is highly emphatic, meaning, Lord, Thou and only Thou hast formed my inward parts. As he thinks about, and he thinks about this, he thinks how God is formed. Then he says in verse 3 or verse 13, Thou hast covered me in Thy mother's womb. The word covered speaks of something being fenced in in order to protect the matter. The psalmist said, Even when I was in my mother's womb, God was watching over me. Even when I was in my mother's womb being formed and God was creating me, my, he said, the Lord was watching over me. And when he thinks about this, he exclaims in verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. He shouts out, I'm a work of God. I'm a marvelous work of God. He formed me. He fashioned me. I'm a marvelous creation of God. But he continues in verse 15. He said, My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. The word substance here refers to bone and flesh. He said, Lord, when I was in my mother's womb, you formed all of my inward parts. You were watching over me, protecting me in my early stages of formation. But he said, Lord, you not only formed my inward parts, but Lord, you formed my substance, my bones, my flesh, my body. He was saying, before the first human eyes ever looked upon me, when I was in secret, Lord, you saw me. You gave attention to my formation. You gave attention to my creation. Look at the words curiously wrought there. There's one word, actually, and it describes a weaver weaving a tapestry or working on fine needlework. The psalmist said, like a weaver working on a tapestry, the Lord was forming my body. 
He was forming what I was to be. He was forming my features. He was forming whether I would have brown hair, blonde hair, black hair, red hair, whether I would have blue eyes, brown eyes, green eyes, big nose, short nose, big ears, little ears. He was forming all this. And even when my mother's body, before anybody ever saw me, God was giving careful attention to my formation. General Motors cars always have an emblem when you open the door, body by Fisher. We bear the marks body by God. God was forming us. But look what he said in verse 16. Thine eyes did see all, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, that is undeveloped. And in thy book all thy members were written, which in continuous were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. The word substance in verse 16, different from the word in verse 15, it's a word that means embryo. The word see means to watch over. The psalmist said, when I was in embryonic form, the Lord was watching over me. The psalmist said, from the time I was conceived, I was the object of God's attention. From the time I was conceived in my mother's womb, God had great interest in my life. And God had great interest in me. He said, even when it, he even goes as far to say that God kept a record of all the details of my life. And he put it in his book. What is the psalmist saying? He's telling us that every one of us, listen to me this morning. It matters not who you are. He's telling us that every one of us is special and significant to God. We are the result of God's creation. We are the result of God's formation. Even before we were born, we were the objects of God's special care and God's special attention. Do you ever feel like you're unimportant? Then read Psalm 139, 13 through 16. If that don't convince you that you're important to God, I don't know what will. God, you are special to God. It's like the little boy that came home one day, little adopted boy. I've told this before, but a little adopted boy came home one day, and he was a little bit down. His mother said to him, what's the matter? And he said, Mama, the boys at school were making fun of me today because I'm adopted. And his mother lovingly set him down, put her arms around him, and told them the story of how he was adopted. She said, your father and I really wanted a baby. But we could not have a baby. So we went down to the hospital and we looked at all kinds of babies. We looked at fat babies. We looked at skinny babies. We looked at long babies. We looked at short babies. We looked at pretty babies. We looked at ugly babies. We looked at babies with black hair, brown hair, blonde hair, red hair. We looked at babies with blue eyes, brown eyes. And out of all those babies, we picked you. Well, the next day, the little boy went back to school and he started making fun of him again because he's adopted. He said, now, hold on just a minute. I won't talk to you. He said, one day, my mom and daddy went down to the hospital and they looked at all kinds of babies. They looked at fat babies. They looked at skinny babies. They looked at long babies. They looked at short babies. They looked at pretty babies. They looked at ugly babies. They looked at babies with brown hair, black hair, blonde hair, red hair. They looked at babies with blue eyes, green eyes, brown eyes. And out of all those babies, they picked me. But when you came alone, your mom and daddy had to take what they got. Say amen right there. I want you to understand that God, he chose us. Are you listening to me today? God carefully fashioned and formed us to be just what he wanted. I am a result of God's attention, even in my mother's womb. Even before we were born, we were the objects of God's attention. But look at something else. Not only God's prenatal attention to his life, but he also describes God's perpetual attention to his life. Look what he said in verse 17 again. He said, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. The psalmist says, Lord, before I was ever born, I was the object of your attention. But he said, Lord, this is what even amazes me. And he said, Lord, I, and I begin to think about it. It's like trying to count the sands of the sea. Lord, you not only thought about me when I was in my mother's womb, but since I've been born, you hadn't stopped thinking about me. I have been on your mind every moment, every living moment or second of my life. I have been on your mind. Your thoughts have been toward me. You continually think about me. In other words, what he's saying is that God is always thinking about us. Now, I don't know about you, but that blesses me. That makes me want to pull my shoes off and run. I mean, God knows everything about me. There's nowhere that I can go that he's not there, but I am always on the mind of God. His thoughts 
are ever toward me. And he said, when I get thinking about your thoughts toward me, the thoughts that you have of me, trying to count them would be like trying to count the grains of the sand that are around the seashore. He said it would be impossible to do so. See, what I'm saying to you today, the psalmist is saying, is that for one thing, God knows everything about us. Not one thing we do, not one place we go, not one thing we think, not one thing we say, he doesn't know. He knows it all. And no matter where I go, where I'm at, God's there. There may not be anybody else there. We may think nobody knows, nobody sees. But I promise you one thing, God was watching the whole affair. And not only that, but to realize that I am the constant object of God's attention. That blows my mind, don't it you? That's what he did the psalmist. He said, I can't comprehend it all. I can't cause this. I can't even count the thoughts that you have toward me. Let me just say this in closing. When I think about God's knowledge of us, it's a complete, constant knowledge that no matter where I go, where I'm at, God is there, and that, he's all, that I'm always on his mind. As I said a few moments ago, those kind of thoughts can either be alarming or they can be assuring. If they're alarming, let me just, let me just encourage you this morning. Say, for example, here, boy, uh, you, when I talk about God knowing something, boy, your heart. You thought, boy, I hope nobody ever finds out what I've done. I hope nobody ever knows what I've done. God knows. And I hope it never comes out. It don't have to come out, but God knows. I want you to understand that. Like someone said, the sin that you cover, God somewhere will uncover. But the sin you uncover, God will cover. But say it bothers you and it alarms you, that I want you to do exactly what the psalmist did in verse 23 and verse 24. Look what he said. Here's the verses of Psalm 139 that are most familiar. He prays this prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If it's alarming, do what the psalmist did. Let's stand our feet, please. Where can I go from God's Spirit? Nowhere. Whither shall I flee from the presence of the Lord? Nowhere. Can't do it. Can't do it. No matter where you go, God is there. I once heard someone say, describe, it's what we call omniscience. Omni meaning all. Science meaning knowledge. All knowledge. Omniscience. God is omniscient. He knows all things. And someone said that God is in everything. Well, that's not exactly right. God's not in this pulpit. He's not in these speakers. He's not in these plants. It's not that God's in everything. It's that everything is in God's presence. This pulpit is in God's presence. These speakers are in God's presence. These plants are in God's presence. I'm in God's presence. You're in God's presence. Now, that's a blessing when you think about this. You got a need here in this building today? He's here. You say, if I could just get to God, I could, if I could just get to God, I could get some help. Well, He's here. He's here right now. He's here now to meet your need. He's here to give you direction. He's here to help you. He's here to guide you. He's here to lead you. He's here right now. So won't you get back to your seat and come and just talk to God? He's here. He's right there where you're standing at right now. He's here. Will you let God meet needs in your life? Maybe there's a need to come, and you say, God, there's things that I know and you know nobody else knows, and I hope it stays that way, but God, I come to you now, and I want you to forgive me and cleanse me. Tell you what he'll do. If you come to ask him to forgive you and cleanse you, he'll forgive you and you'll cleanse you. He'll wash you as white as snow. You say, Bill, what I've done. It don't matter. God says, I'll cleanse of all sin. And you can do that this morning. I want you to come. God is here. He knows. And he's, his thoughts are on you right now. God's thinking about you right now. God's thinking about me right now. He's thinking about everyone. I was, we're on his mind right now. What he wants to do in our life, what he has done in our life, what he is doing in our life, and what he can do in our life. God's thinking about us right now. He loves us, and he wants to meet our needs. We let God meet your needs today. If you're unsaved, won't you get saved? You don't have to go to hell when you die. Won't you come to Christ? Won't you be saved today? If you're saved, but you haven't been living for God, you've been out of church, you've been away from God, won't you come back to the Lord today? He knows where you're at. Won't you do that? Things in your life are not right. Won't you get them right today? 
Why try to hide them? You can't hide them. You're only fooling yourself. I would deceive myself to do so. You, won't you just get it right today and enjoy life, enjoy Christ, enjoy serving God? Won't you come today and just give it all to the Lord? Talk to him. He's here right now. So why don't you let him meet your need? Father, this morning in Jesus' name, Lord, we know that we can't flee from your spirit. We can't flee from thy presence. It's nowhere we can go that you're not there. Nothing we can do that you don't know. Father, the truth is, Lord, there's never a moment that we're not on your mind. Constantly think about us. We're constantly the objects of your attention. So, Father, as we come to morning, this morning, we rejoice in the great truth of this psalm. But, Father, use it today to minister to our hearts, to draw the wandering one back. May there be confessions of sins. May there be commitment of burdens. However, whether it alarms or assures, Father, this great truth today, use it in our lives. Minister to our hearts through your word and these wonderful truths about you. Bless now. Add to the church today, Lord, if there are people here that you're leading to Temple Baptist, this is where you want them to be a part. This is where you want their membership to be. This is where you want them to serve. This is the will of God for their life. Lord, help them to come, whatever the reason. Someone, Lord, that's, never, that's been saved but yet have not obeyed God in believer's baptism, let them come, whatever the reason, whatever the purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.